I am big. It's the pictures that got small. Welcome back to episode 15 of 2 please I am your host Abhin and I'm your co-host Rohit and the idea for this week's episode kind of came out of last week's episode on the bond movies uh, when Abhin and I were both discussing the oneer that is there in the Sam Mendes movie Spectre and we were talking about how I mean we were joking about it uh, about how probably that was the genesis for uh, him making uh, the movie that we're going to talk about today and also I think even apart from that, Abhin and I, right from the time we decided to even you know come together and make this podcast, uh, this movie was on the on the forefront of our minds in terms of uh, you know us, us both waiting for when we can actually you know speak about this movie. I think both of us have been waiting to wax eloquent about it uh, and how great a, a watching experience it is. Yeah. So uh, in, in, yeah, in terms of also because. <laughs> to a lot of us this was the last film we watched in the theaters before the great shutdown happened back in 2020 so it it represents to me at least personally a a microcosm of what it what it is like to be sitting in uh, in a theater to have an experience like that because i distinctly remember having walked into uh, the theater to watch this for the first time and it is a memory i will never forget and that's what movies do right they they are meant to get on yeah. the get on the skin they are they are meant to elicit reactions out of you yeah that um, and whatever reactions they may be like but this one this one is not an extraordinary tale in terms of what its premise is based on but it is a but it is still a very emotional movie and i found myself being quite emotional uh, especially towards the the latter half of uh, of this film which we still haven't named by the way yeah <laughs> i mean unless you've seen like the <laughs> you've seen the title of the of the podcast you've clicked on we are of course talking about uh, sam mendes is uh, 1917 released in 2019 in some places in 2020 um yeah. starring yeah. dean charles chapman and george mckay as the two central characters surrounded by some of the best names in 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 english cinema like i i've heard this movie being compared to games in multiple times it's almost like every time they cross a specific hurdle <laughs> they're greeted by some sort of a boss this usually a famous person so yeah, yeah. i mean and they're all there in 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 sort of cameos right it's, it's yeah. like two, two minute appearances but very integral uh, role to play in the in the plot of the movie mm-hmm. and uh, even otherwise pretty impactful as long as cameos go all of them uh, they have great screen presence beat colin firth mark strong andrew scott or even benedict cumberbatch uh, all of them two two minute roles but very very impactful adding to your point on on yeah, the cinematic experience of of watching 1917 i think similar to you it was the last movie i watched before lockdown i had watched it in um, jan 2020 mm. and i still hold that for me this is probably in the top 2 greatest movie watching experiences in in the theater that is greatest mm. movie watching experience in the theater of my life mm. if if i had to round out my top 3 it would probably be uh, mad max fury road mm-hmm. 1917 and i think between the two it's hard for me to pick one and uh, the third i would stay was a quiet place because of the novelty of mm-hmm. of what the movie is so i remember watching uh, 1917 for the first time i think i watched it thrice in theaters mm-hmm. i was literally looking for excuses right yeah anyone in my friend circle if if uh, they hadn't watched 1917 you haven't watched come let's go <laughs> let's you haven't go. watched come let's go <laughs> so yeah i i dragged people multiple times to the movie and i did the same too don't worry about it like i i, I watched <laughs> it so so the first time i went i i did a double header it was a, a saturday morning and it was a snow day so there's evidently nothing really to do so I'm like, okay cool little women is playing 1970 is playing after it so this friend and i went to watch it 
and uh, so we finished little women i quite like that movie i think it is mm-hmm. very very nice and then we stepped out to get lunch and she complained of headache so she left so i went back into 1917 by myself and oh, i cannot even describe the experience that i had it was just it was something truly special and then i came home and i texted my parents saying listen you have to go watch this movie this is <laughs> ex- excellent i went to home i told my roommates cancel your sunday plans next week we're going for this i took them to go watch it and watch it in imax because i watched it not in imax but i watched it on a pretty mm. big screen nonetheless and everyone spoke about how great an experience this was on uh, watching it in imax it oh man in imax this movie is just it it like for the lack of a better word fucks right it, it is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. even my second and third time was an imax i remember yeah i was just like oh wow this is this is the way to watch that film and we'll get to it i feel like we haven't really touched upon why what we liked about this film or what even the film is about so 1917 tells a story about two soldiers who are entrusted delivering a message to a certain battalion of soldiers in the second heavens as they're about to go over the line during the first world war british intelligence has intercepted has received intel that that the battalion is walking into a trap and as a result should not go ahead with the uh, with the orders that they've received so it's it's up to these two boys to risk uh, their lives in and to ensure that they end up saving the lives of at least 1600 other men and that's basically what the film's premise is about and yeah yeah though and when i watched the trailer for this back in 2019 i didn't really find anything new about it because it's like oh it's just another war movie like i made two mistakes here one i didn't did not realize it was a first world war movie and there are very few films based on the first world war i think mm. if at all mm. you have maybe a a handful uh, all quiet on the western front is is one parts of glory is another Bad, which has of, a major influence on this movie mm-hmm. so i i think what we'll we'll do of course we'll talk about the first world war i know you're a big aficionado on yeah i'm waiting uh, yeah <laughs> on, on the world wars so once once we get to the actual topic of the world wars i'll, I'll i'm going to shut up and let rohit take take center stage um so the one thing and what i did not realize at least a week before i went to watch this and we have a mutual friend who mentioned this to us that the entire film is through is, is told through the uh the the one shot technique or like as so it's made to look like a one off and that really got my in, uh attention because yes you've seen a lot of films that have now in, in taken on both the whole one shot idea but it's very rarely been a war film and i was very intrigued by how they were going to pull it off like you said a lot of movies previously have employed the oneer technique beat for a scene or obviously for the the duration of the movie for the most part it feels like a gimmick it mm-hmm. feels like a you know come watch me because i am this uh case in point again nothing against the movie it's it's a very nice movie case in point being birdman mm. the single shot technique does not add anything to the movie right it's mm-hmm. it's uh, is this something inery to probably wanted to add as a sort of flair or to just show you know that we can do this uh, it, it, it the story doesn't it doesn't service the story in any way while in the case of 1917 what it does is because it's the movie is essentially a single shot mm-hmm. uh, and the story is also a uh, an uh, an evening uh, not even an entire day it's an evening mm-hmm. in the lives of these two people mm-hmm. and the entire movie is centered around them right mm-hmm. uh, it's just their journey to try and get to the front line here the oneer actually serves to keep that front and center and because it's it, it, there's no pause there's no break it's like you're uh you're a spectator to actually what is happening in front of your eyes it's mm-hmm. you you completely forget the fact that you're watching a movie mm-hmm. it draws you in in exactly the ways it you need to be drawn in to really enjoy an anti war movie like you said like 1917 mm-hmm. is and you're just watching from afar it it's like you're an eye in the sky and you're just watching what's happening to these two guys and you're so much more invested in the story so much more invested in the screenplay the events happening on screen because it's a oneer Mm-hmm. right here the technique adds so so much to the movie experience and it's not just a gimmick i think I that's think, what i really 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 loved about it so uh, everyone talks about this being like a, a one hour with that takes you on a two person journey i think it's it is a three person journey 
because you have the two characters and then there's you walking right behind yeah. them yeah so it, it actually feels like you're a world war 1 soldier yourself yeah, right? exactly i mean and you many have akin this to uh, um to first person shooter games because that's what yeah um yeah. um the direct comparison is and i it has developed almost this incel like fan following on twitter especially there were times 1917. when 1917 yeah so uh, there were times when this film was receiving criticism for uh, it not like it just having like the impact of of the technique that it uses being very hollow uh, there was a whole community that was outraged and they were like oh you don't know films and so it's it's like uh, almost nolan fanboys and gamergate kind of mm. dudes who are like you 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 don't know what world what war is like and that that's oh, unfortunate you sitting in your chair at home do okay. yeah. <laughs> nobody knows i think it comes the- back to the point yeah and it comes back to the point you you made at that right at the mm. start right you watched the movie did it make you feel things yes great mm-hmm. no okay cool i mean yeah. that's all it is right mm-hmm. movies have to evoke emotion if they don't and they don't work and if it and that's subjective mm-hmm. it may work for me it may not work for you there is no objectively i mean no movie can be objectively called good i can tomorrow go and say you know like uh, pulp fiction is shit mm-hmm. and that's my opinion right mm-hmm. so i mean fine like if you want to get <laughs> if nolan fanboys want to get pissed i've had this discussion with people and they're like mm-hmm. you know dunkirk is a better movie in mm-hmm. 1917 i'm like first of all they are two different wars mm-hmm. like two vastly different wars anyway when i mm-hmm. when i have my long monologue about world war 1 i will talk i'll talk a little more about this mm-hmm. and like, first of all they're two different wars they're two different movies one does not have to be better than the other they mm-hmm. can be two good movies just let it be <laughs> but yeah, i i know i get i get where you're coming from people just always want to compare and rate just enjoy it for what it is what it is yeah beautiful It's it's very rare to have like someone to have that opinion these days because if you don't pit one against the other, it's like oh yeah, it's just it's how I don't even get get to how we've gotten here as as a society, but just yeah, it's like you have to compare. Ah, <laughs> oh. but yeah, I think I'm going to seize the moment now. And, yeah. Uh, before we talk about the movie, I just want to talk about my uh, my love for the First World War. Okay. Like you said, right? There's a lot more movies on World War 2 than on World War 1. In my opinion, that's because World War 2 is a lot more glamorous and not just glamorous, the real life events also follow a very easy to build narrative. You have a talismanic bad figure in in uh, Hitler and you have talismanic good figures in say FDR if you're American and Churchill if you're British. It lends itself to storytelling to movie making just so easily that it's like low hanging fruit for anybody who's looking to make a decent war movie hmm. so i think that's and obviously it's a lot more fresher in in people's memories as compared to world war 1 because hmm. it was a lot more documented as well you had mm-hmm. uh, a movie filmmaking or uh, video recordings were a lot the technology was a lot better mm-hmm. uh, media was a lot more connected so obviously world war 2 is chronicled a lot better it makes more sense why there are a lot more world war 2 movies hmm. but if you really listen or you know read about or even watch stuff about world war 1 you realize in in many ways it was the the much more horrific war in mm-hmm. the sense uh, one is obviously world war 2 you had the benefit of hindsight you've already been through a first world war and you know what a global scale uh, international uh, as by international I mean between nations mm-hmm. uh, war what that pans out like what are the logistics what are the sort of casualties you've got that hindsight uh, hindsight going into world war 2 but uh, the first time this happened uh, until that time there had never been conflicts with you know like six seven nations kind of uh, fighting each other hmm. it always was uh, okay you have two empires they battle it out you have casualties of maybe you know something like a 60 70000 soldiers dying is hmm. it, it's an outlier it hmm. stands out in history because people, you don't have those many levels of casualties Uh, in a campaign mm-hmm. the battle of somme i think in the first week had 60000 or i, I wow. think i'm massively underplaying the numbers mm. it's, it's multiples of that mm. right and even the fact even the point that you made now the story of 1917 talks of uh, two guys uh, looking to stop a battalion's charge so that they can save 1600 people one of the biggest characteristics of world war 1 is the avoidable loss of human life mm. that's a pattern you see repeatedly 
in in uh, the battle of passion in the battles of passiondale there were three battles of passiondale in those you see that in the somme uh, there's so many other battles in world war 1 where you know people uh, generals or whatever colonels used to commit 600000 men for a single uh, over the top charge mm-hmm. and uh, you know you here you're trying to uh, save 2000 people on the other day you're you're sacrificing 6000 people in a given day just to mm-hmm. gain like a feet or two of land Mm-hmm. and uh, like world war 1 the first world war was truly a war of attrition mm-hmm. because uh, again uh, i would highly recommend if any of you are interested in learning more about world war 1 there's this podcast called hardcore history by dan carlin mm-hmm. he has a six part uh, series on uh, the first world war called blueprint for armageddon i think it's a total of 18 hours of podcasting purely on on all things world war right from the the set up to you know what uh, caused the tensions to be built up and the, the nations to be arrayed against each other in a in a way that all you needed was that spark of the assassination of archduke franz ferdinand mm-hmm. for things to kind of escalate it it's it's sort of like a domino effect uh, where that small thing sort of you know led to something bigger 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 more nations started getting involved and then he sort of dives into uh, how the events played out In fact, you know when the world uh, when the war started in uh, 1914, a lot of guys were enthusiastic about enrolling because a uh, the army promised all of the armies for the nations promised you know you'll get to see foreign lands you'll get to earn honor mm-hmm. and you know this will be done in a few months our our side is so much more superior than the opposition you'll be home by Christmas that was a very common phrase that was touted around the time when world war started I think in July 1914 they're like mm-hmm. in a few months uh, we'll be done you'll be home by Christmas. obviously by the time uh, things got to a close it was 4 years later i think november 1918 is when uh, mm-hmm. the world, the ceasefire was officially uh, signed announced. Mm-hmm. so announced and uh, like people were there was so much that was hap- uh, what do i say the scale of the war was nothing like anything had anyone had ever imagined right mm-hmm. people had never seen a four year war and uh, even at the start of the war it wasn't uh the the nature of the war wasn't what it is known to be today which is this kind of trench warfare stalemate where mm. your gains are only maybe a few feet for which you have to sacrifice a shit ton of men mm-hmm. and you know it, it's just a game of wait and watch that wasn't the case at the start in fact uh, for the better part of 1914 and the first half of 1915 the german uh, i would say the austro-hungarian empire and the german empire their coalition uh they had great generals in in uh, von moltke in uh, in and see 1916 17 onwards in hindenburg mm-hmm. the german uh, military never lacked for great leaders it just so happened that geographically the kind of maneuvers they were trying to uh, execute so what they were trying to do was kind of flank france from the north coming mm-hmm. through belgium and mm-hmm. the, the the von moltke uh, strategy was called the banging door strategy or something the idea was to you know flank uh, france from the north come in through belgium and close the door on reinforcements from britain coming in to help france mm-hmm. so they they had all of this planned out and i think the the german army took belgium in two weeks mm-hmm. so they faced very very little resistance and uh, you know it looked like you know it looks like the war is going to get over by christmas things are going to happen and then suddenly uh, once they try and enter uh, france through the north right at that point you start seeing the world the first world war as it is today people mm-hmm. kind of drew lines mm-hmm. like this is this is where we'll make our stand bunkers were drawn up and then all of the the barbed wire and uh, you know artillery kind of demarcating how far you could uh, go and go. you know these the shells just kind of peppering the landscape making mm-hmm. it look almost not, uh, alien mm-hmm. all of those those aspects started coming in maybe a year into the war Mm-hmm. and then the nature of the war changed irrevocably mm-hmm. after that it just became the war of attrition that we know it to be today and uh, life in the trenches i mean that is something they've touched upon in this movie but mm-hmm. i think no no single movie can do justice to to what i've read or heard about life how life in the trenches was i, I mean imagine right here you get up to the sound of shells mm-hmm. it's just this constant bombardment they're like 300 to 350 shells dropping per minute being shot and they're dropping somewhere per uh, around you all the time mm-hmm. so it's just this constant bombardment you get up to and most of the time was you're either going to fight and die or you're just waiting for orders to fight and die or you're mm-hmm. just digging 
keeping up your trenches you're just milling about doing nothing mm-hmm. so it's either boredom or disease because obviously things are unsanitary so it's boredom mm-hmm. disease or just combat that gets you killed and while you're imagine the constant sound of bombardment the constant sound of imminent death any of mm-hmm. those shells could at any point of time fall into your trench and just mm-hmm. kill you mm-hmm. when you stay when you're when the human consciousness is suspended in that state of uh, fight or flight for extended periods mm-hmm. obviously your nerves get frayed and it it causes fundamental damage to the way you process things mm-hmm. the the term shell shock comes from the oh, first mm-hmm. world war because, mm-hmm. because okay. of the the way people used to feel mm-hmm. and uh, i've read accounts of people in passchendaele uh, when they used to spend two weeks on the front and then come back uh, people who were coming to relieve them when they would meet them on the way they would just say you know what if you can just kill yourself now so you don't have to go to the front end because that is worse than death oh oh yeah. man that's so, just <laughs> exactly yeah so more and more you read about the first world war obviously I, the mm. fact that we're calling it the first world war itself is significant at the time it was called the great war great war yeah. because even to them they have never they'd never experienced something like it mm-hmm. and uh, i think somewhere around 1919 or 1920 was the first time somebody had on paper put down the term first world war mm-hmm. which itself is ominous in the implication But that something the, similar is going to happen yeah, in about 20 yeah, 20 years yeah. so it's just <laughs> um i mean i'm not there's not really much i can add to that because i i did not know shell shock i thought shell shock came from world war 2 not world war 1 mm-hmm. uh, but even in terms of um military advancements right in terms of military tech there wasn't a lot of uh, like the first world war is notorious for being so horrific because technology hadn't caught up with uh, yeah with yeah. the times so it wasn't a sign of the times where it was more you have to like Uh, it's more bayonet guns i mean it was kind of somewhere in the middle there was there was not much heavy artillery they had war horses imagine this is a little over 100 years ago right mm-hmm. it was i think tanks were introduced for the first time in world war in the first world war but they were very rudimentary tanks i mean mm-hmm. they were more metal boxes than uh, mm-hmm. actual combat uh, equipment mm-hmm. and and machinery mm-hmm. and you have horses you have people that that's that's another uh, t- topic that's another point that dan carlin touches upon really well the first world war was the the biggest punch in the gut for a lot of militaries mm-hmm. who who did not um, what do i say believe in technology who did not uh, yeah yeah mm. who did not believe in technology or who who were who did not reconcile to the reality that technology is moving forward mm. they felt so there's two parts to it one is the chivalry of combat where obviously all of these armies have the whole chivalric code and uh, knights of the uh, medieval order used to have these honorable ways of engaging the enemy mm-hmm. you can't just uh, you don't do underhanded things uh, dirty tactics aren't par for the course mm-hmm. the idea is to be honorable fight it out on the field like gentlemen and may the best man win mm. so there's that aspect and there's the aspect of this is how we've done things for centuries you have cavalry you have infantry infantry charges through the middle the cavalry tries to outflank the opposition and mm-hmm. uh, circle them try to hit them from the flanks uh, come through the center try and destabilize their infantry so your infantry can overrun them mm-hmm. very simple strategy that people have tried to do for centuries mm-hmm. so both those things both of those preconceptions were challenged massively mm-hmm. all of your chivalric codes flew right out the window 3 months into into the first world war mm-hmm. people were like you know what fuck all this like if 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 i'm going to die uh if uh, trying to follow some code and all i don't know i'm not going to do all that like mm-hmm. whatever it takes for me to kill the enemy that's fine i mean i'm i'm willing to do that that was one and the other obviously you had the first few months of the first world war i think after the fourth or fifth month uh army stopped doing these cavalry charges mm-hmm. because and it took them that long to realize you know what you can't just charge into artillery gunfire with horses like you used to say yeah, uh, 50 or 60 years back mm-hmm. things have changed now and you have to adapt to a technological warfare and not the the way warfare used to be mm-hmm. so again that took especially the french learned this the hardest way mm-hmm. and you know we uh, movies often make uh jokes about okay uh, france white flag you know mm-hmm. uh, that's all the french army has always done mm-hmm. uh is what they do is surrender now one of the greatest generals of the first world war was this french guy called pitan mm-hmm. uh i mean he was again a talismanic figure in the sense he could rally the people 
he was a he was similar to a Douglas MacArthur of the Second World War in the sense that wherever he went, the soldiers were like, if he would visit your battalion, you were ready to go over the top that hour. Just like, <laughs> you know what? I'll do anything for this guy. <laughs> and the French were known to be the strongest land army uh, in in Europe around the time of the First World War. They were a major part to reckon with. And in terms of losses, uh, obviously in the later half of the war, the Germans suffered a lot more losses. But the first one year of the war was absolutely brutal for France. Mm-hmm. France was a grind, like meat grinding machine for the first year of the war. Mm-hmm. All of the battles where, you know, you would see 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 people die a day used to happen either in Belgium or France. It was just, mm-hmm. I mean, they threw bodies onto the problem more than anyone else did. And they lost more to the war they were similar to, say, Russia in the Second World War, where, I mean, Russians died by the droves mm-hmm. fighting on the Eastern Front uh, mm-hmm. with uh, with the German Wehrmacht. Similarly, here, France had a lot to lose. They lost a lot in the First World War, which is, I think, that sort of manpower shortage and that sort of uh, loss of resources that they had in the First World War was also a reason why they capitulated so early in the Second World War. So... I mean, it's it's funny to watch it in movies, you know, when they make those jokes about France. But once you learn this perspective, I always feel a little peeved when I look at it. I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's it's fun and all, but you don't know what France has been through. Like, yeah. again, these were views I did not... I mean, these were things I did not know. My views changed the more I read about the First World War. But mm-hmm. again, in my humble opinion, it is endlessly more fascinating than the Second World War. Oh, man, I mean, there's... Uh, th- the First World War, at least in its depiction through media, there isn't a lot as we spoke about in, in, in the top of the episode. If you were to pick out even the films that exist, uh, I think you said mentioned Paths of Glory are quite on the Western Front. Wonder Woman to an extent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it. And uh, even so, there is a... I, I, know, I, I know we're kind of like diverting away from, from the film, but I kind of just want to talk about this for a second. So the fourth season of Black Adder, Black Adder goes fourth, is uh, yeah, talk about it. yeah, is set in the First World War, and uh, like it, the I'm I'm sure if you do want to find chase down the fourth season and find it, please do. It is possibly the greatest season of Black Adder that there is. Um, it is yeah. The first five episodes are hilarious. But the yeah. sixth and the finale is a gut punch because they address the horrors of the war because they they yeah. basically are sitting around waiting to die. And uh, mm. they're given the orders to go over uh, uh, to go over the line during a particular point in time. And the way it ends, it's not played for laughs. It's actually played in, in a very somber tone. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it just now. Yeah. The last scene. Yeah, because it, the thing goes from uh, how did the war start I heard that it started when a bloke called Archie Duke shot an ostrich because he was hungry. I think you mean it started when the Archduke of Austro-Hungary got shot. No, there was definitely an ostrich involved. Well, possibly. (laughs) And uh, it's... Very rarely has any sort of... Obviously, the the other... um, the other piece of war cinema that, that everyone refers to and try like and has been for a very long time is the opening sequence in Saving Private Ryan. Even though it is a completely different war, everyone talks yeah. about the horrors of uh, of D-Day or, or Normandy. And but few films capture or at least attempt to capture the horrors of the First World War. I think They Shall Not Grow Old, which came out last year. Uh, Ooh, did, did you watch it? I haven't seen it. Have you? It's amazing. No, like I give thoughts. No, it's it's uh, so basically it's recreations of letters and uh, recordings of uh, soldiers in the fir- first world war. Letters that they sent home, which I don't know if all of them reached home or not. And just these recordings, which Peter Jackson has painfully recolorized now to make it look like how we would see it if they were, you know, at at war today. Mm. What really comes out is so the first. I think he he also chronologically follows the war and uh, you see that the naivety, the the hope, the optimism in the initial letters uh, where, you know, like, yeah, this is a great adventure. I'm seeing lands that I haven't seen before. Like you come from Britain to a France, you're like, wow, I'm seeing the world. I'm, I'm meeting. So for a lot of these young lads, 
Mm-hmm. Also, hey, we're we're soldiers in a foreign land mm-hmm. of beautiful women, and you know where these chivalric uh, combatants and you know they're they're opening, they're uh, welcoming us with open arms as heroes. It's, it's mm-hmm. a great experience, having a great time. Mm-hmm. And over time, you see those letters get darker and bleaker and more devoid of hope. Mm-hmm. And where they're just like, uh, "Ma, I'm going to die in this ditch." Uh, mm-hmm. My or you know, there's a letter where he says, "I'm going to lose my left leg to gangrene. It's completely black now. Oh, wow. I don't know if I'm going to come home, uh, or is if I'm just going to lose my limb, or if I'm going to lose my life." Mm-hmm. Uh, it just gets. I mean, the the documentary gets harder to watch as mm-hmm. you as you go through the years, which is a very accurate representation of what life on the front was, mm-hmm. to my little knowledge. So. very very i would absolutely recommend anyone who's interested in the first world war to watch uh, they shall not grow old yeah. that's something that's that's been on my list for a while because i watched 1917 and i went and i think while we were, we were watching this film the trailers for they shall not grow old were were playing for yeah. around that time anyway so if it was it wasn't in the same screening um but coming back coming back to the film so yeah i think i'm done yeah <laughs> so so with so these two characters are obviously entrusted with with a mission and uh, there's a very interesting line that when they meet they get the orders from the all of earth and general Ar- uh, and he's called Aaron Moore Aaron Moore right and he's and he he tells him a little poem from a rudyard kipling it's, it's a, a, a line from a rudyard kipling poem or uh, down to gana up to the throne he travels fast or travel travels alone. alone yeah that's when the musical cues for this film pick up because yeah there's there's one thing i kind of want to talk about before we move on to the plot is just that the sound design and uh, and the com- and the score for the film is exceptional without either of them this movie does not work um because yeah. you the score swells in places it quietens down in certain places it kind of it is in itself a character i know we've mentioned that there are two people plus us the audience the score itself is also plays a huge part in in this story as yeah. as the uh, as the two protagonists are making their way up into no man's land uh mm. there's there's a particular uh, piece of music called gehenna which i think you're going to talk about um which kicks in and as and you as as an, an individual have no idea what awaits in no man's land other germans still around okay we are going to talk spoilers in this because we can't possibly address everything that this film talks about without it without spoiling a bit of it so if you haven't seen 1917 it's on any streaming platform in, in your country if you're in india it's on that fuck all sony live app um, <laughs> <laughs> which itself is like a challenge by itself but please go watch it and come back and and check out this podcast so as they're making their way up you prep yourself you're in your seat you're squirming like okay i'm ready for this journey and as they as they enter as they get up the first thing you as as a person realize it's just, it's deadly quiet it's mud and then as you progress it's mud gunk and as you progress you start to see the impact of no man's land you see dead horses you see corpses there's even a sequence where uh, george mckay's character uh, scofield cuts his hand and then he falls down and in a bit to catch himself he plants his hand but he plants it in plants it in a dude's innards like in a dinner and that had the whole audience in uh, squirming in their seats because we all went ah oh. and as you're walking through the film the impact of what has happened really starts to get to you with because it's it's almost a slow somber uh tone that the film is already established the, initially they they they're pretty excited they're not excited they're kind of up up to the task they're motivated yeah. and then that motivation starts to uh uh crawl in, i mean turn into more caution uh, fear and horror and as they progress the way through no man's land they do so with utmost caution and here is there here is where i will talk about uh, roger deakins for a hot second before um we move move back on to the story because there is a shot in this film where they go down into a pit pit full of water and oh, there are obviously man. corpses everywhere the camera goes with them so the 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 same the the easy thing to do would have would be to follow the two characters as they made their way up up the pit but what it does is it goes down with them cuts wide follows them 
uh, on a white shot and then comes back to them on the far end. Mm-hmm. I was so good, dude. I was just I watched that scene and it blew my mind because in a film like this, you noticing the technical aspect of things will usually pull you out of the experience. And uh, but with this, and for the most part, I was it didn't really bother me. But when this happened, I went, "Oh, oh my god, that is gorgeous." But and, yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry, Mr. Deacons, because Roger Deacons talks about how no shot in a film should stand out. Uh, they should all be uh, like, if it stands out, then there's a problem with with the rest of the movie. But then don't make great shots, Roger Deakins. <laughs> it's so it, it was so good. I, I was just completely blown away by by it. But then, now getting back to the plot, they end up in the German encampment and then they realize the Germans have left. I just, I just also want to talk about this scene quickly yeah, because I think it's my, my, my second favorite scene in the movie apart mm. from yeah. the, the scene we're going to talk about which is Deacon's at his best. But mm. uh, I think the exact point that you made, right? It, it One, the, the camera work is exceptional. It follows them, then it pans out a little wide, follows them from the side and uh, it just keeps you engaged and until that point, like you said, there's build up okay, there's, there's the setting context for the story. There's all of that. Mm-hmm. And these guys are making their way to the front. All that's fine. Now you're like, okay, fine. Let's get into the journey. This is the meat of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it going to be like? We have no idea. And right off the bat, this first scene sets the tone for what their journey is going to be like. Mm-hmm. Right from the camera work to, like you said, how Thomas Newman's music, it crescendos and it ebbs and flows at exactly the perfect times. When they're walking across that pit full of water, it's that same Gehenna theme just on piano keys. Mm-hmm. Like, dun, 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 mm-hmm. dun. And then it builds slowly, strings, your brass starts coming in as they get closer and closer to the, the German line. And tension starts building up subconsciously without you even knowing the camera work and the music is helping to build that tension further and further inside you. Mm-hmm. You're At least for me, I was literally bored into the screen. I was getting more and more involved with the scene. And then they then they finally jump over the German line, not knowing whether somebody's there or not. The music is just crescendoed at that moment. I was like, whoa, if this is what the rest of the movie is going to be like, I am in for a treat. I mean, my nerves, like, I have to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> like my, my nerves were shot. Because as they jump into the German camp, into the trenches, right? They realize the Germans have vacated. And by, yeah. by now the film lulls you into this false sense of security that okay nothing is going to happen for a while and and this is i think this is the part of the film where uh, where it where the plot tends to build a character like it tends to, de- yeah. to develop characters while while they're having a walk because you're trying to you need to care for these two guys to what extent that you care for them is i mean it depends on how, just how invested you were with with the, with the two and how well how good a job the film did in, in convincing you that these two guys uh, are, are people that you can really connect with but I, I i felt instantly there was something about them that felt very relatable i was like okay one is one wants to go one person has to go uh save his brother that's the motivation behind um why he goes and he takes and Schofield just goes along because he's sitting next to him it's not because he has some greater purpose yeah. he, which is which is wonderful because it's, it's it's a story of an everyday man there's nothing about him like he's the chosen one or he's just something that could uh someone who is destined to do this he's just a guy sleeping next to uh him on on a tree it's Um, also a great statement on the arbitrariness or the randomness of war mm -hmm. it's just it's just that yeah anyone and anyone everybody can be uh it just it's basically your how the day goes for you because you do And so as they enter the German encampment, they realize that they've built like these massive bunkers, uh, like living quarters inside inside the trenches. And this is the first sequence where you start to see where, where a rat pops up. And yeah. I was like, oh, look, a rat. And then Schofield goes, oh, tripwire. And immediately the odd, like me and the rest of the audience just freeze because you're like, oh, shit, tripwire. And because uh, he's about to trigger it. And then he says, and, and then... Um, you think they've gotten past it, but then they forget about the rat and then the rat pops and I'm like, oh no. And when the tripwire goes off, uh, it is it is scary because obviously it's very loud. So yeah. if, you're, if you're in a theater, you go bang. Even while watching it on my little laptop screen, 
I still jumped uh, in my seat as a this time around as well. And Scofield gets buried under uh, under rubble. So claustrophobic. It's so claustrophobic, and they pull him out. He's coughing. He can't see. Um, and probably the most video game esque sequence of the entire film, I would say, because uh, it's just like oh, it's like one of those quick time events where you pull someone out and you're like oh, okay, like try and make your way out of there. Yeah, yeah slow. They yeah. go. They, they, they slower. And eventually they get out of out of the cave because you expect at this point you're like okay the two guys will survive um, yeah at least that's what that that's what you go into this film thinking yeah no I think again that's a that's a great scene and it's a jump scare mm-hmm. employed not in a horror movie and mm-hmm. uh, employed to great effect mm-hmm. uh, you feel like you said you feel like they've crossed that uh, the the tripwire you know they just avoided being uh, blown up and. and it happens anyways mm-hmm. that part where you know he does survive that sort of explosion requires some suspension of disbelief but uh, i mean that's in service of the story it, it's still fine you you can you can oversee that given how painstakingly the rest of the setting has been recreated hmm. there are not just this there are i, I would say at least a couple more places in the plot where you need to have you need to be willing to suspend some disbelief uh because you want to enjoy the story that that bit that said it did take me a little out of the story that bit i'm like why is this guy not dead but mm. fair enough i mean you want the the plot to continue mm. rather than that yeah uh, again it sets it the movie in a way is sort of these five six big set pieces mm-hmm. uh there's there's the uh, the german trench mm-hmm. and then they go to the that farm mm-hmm. and then, i mean obviously there's there's set pieces through yeah. the rest of the movie i mm-hmm. think this sets up uh their now that they've got, made it through the trench i think the next bit is where they go to the farm right the farm yeah they they end up yeah. in the farm yeah. and, and they and they watch a dog fight in the air between uh yeah. Yeah. two two english job uh, two english uh, aircraft and and one german aircraft and yeah. the german aircraft crashes into the barn that they're in and, and even that scene is so beautiful they're like wow dog mm-hmm. fight <laughs> one minute later that very plane is you know hurtling right towards you mm-hmm. i mean it just shows the randomness of war i mean like you anything can happen to you at any point right and mm-hmm. this is just any given day for a random soldier in the british army the any world war i mean sure it's, it's the case for the second world war as well is littered with days like these where mm-hmm. people have just had shitty days where everything <laughs> bad happens to them mm-hmm. and he's just mendes has just picked one day and made a movie out of it and you realize just how shitty it can get like as i mean it that's that really isn't where it ends though right because they they do the right thing they pull the german uh, pilot out of the yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. out of the aircraft or the burning aircraft and then as uh, scofield goes uh, to a nearby water pump to get get him some water uh, the german pilot in in a fit of fear stabs uh, stabs stabs blake in the stomach and then yeah. he's again shot by scofield and this is the point where the film builds a little it's like a little, a little bit of a switcheroo because uh they kill one of the two main characters in the movie uh, the arguably the more famous face yeah the more famous face like they kill poor tom and tom and can't catch a break so yeah <laughs> he's dying all the time anyway so and and very so this is a big gripe i have with movies a lot of movies don't wrestle with the impact uh that a death of of one character has on the other and when mm-hmm. uh when blake dies for a good 15 minutes scofield is shocked he's in a state of shock yeah yeah because as the uh as the english troops roll by he he's obviously giving out orders but he's not there physically he's present he's but mentally he is someplace else and as the english troops tell him okay we'll drop you uh, we're going close to uh, echoes we'll, we'll drop you uh, on the way there anyway mm mm-hmm. And, and he's sitting in the truck with these other guys from a different battalion yeah. led by Mark Strong again great yeah. two minute cameo mm-hmm. very impactful and surprisingly kind for a Mark Strong role yeah uh, is Mark Strong there he plays these hard assholes mm-hmm. but uh, he's sitting in the truck with the rest of the guys and obviously they're all from the same battalion they're trading jokes stories mm-hmm. they're they're you know poking each other's uh, i mean making jokes on each other's expense and scofield is just sitting there stony eyed sony faced and you can see he's on the verge of a breakdown he's still processing the death of blake mm. ah what what a beautiful scene i mean also really. i mean more close to home this is probably the first time there was an actual representation of the kind of people who went to war 
there is an, yeah, an, in, yeah. an indian indian character uh, on uh, on that on that truck as well yeah, and yeah. there were quite a few people who had issues with it and then were rightfully corrected saying I mean, there are so many people from the british empires who fought hmm. i mean you want to showcase a white revisionist pew paint yourselves as the heroes great at least but at least this is more accurate this is what actually happened happened yeah so many from the sikh battalion went and fought on the western front and died by the thousands mm-hmm. and yeah so the the truck that they're in gets stuck in in mud and um, that's yeah. when scofield flips out and says no i have to get out of there and they end up pushing the truck out of um uh, out of out of the mud and then uh, he has to take a diversion he says I'll, i this is where i get off technically this was i don't know how they rehearsed the shot because they must have because he's walking on on like uh, on a collapsed bridge or or at least a walkway and he makes the jump and and the shot follows him i think the shot starts a lot earlier and as he jumps onto that collapsed bridge uh, there is some there's there's a german sniper mm. that starts taking shots and he's uh, the choreography for that scene must have been insane because you have to like <laughs> stay and but so yeah so scofield kind of navigates his way through uh, manages to get uh, get uh, get a shot on the sniper follows him up to the house and that's where this film has possibly the big cut right because how yeah. else are you going to uh, showcase a time lapse so in real time anyway so that's when i think he gets shot in on the in the helmet i don't know something he, yeah, he gets in the helmet he gets knocked out he gets knocked he out. gets knocked out and he wakes up at night uh, in in the town ta- he has no idea where he is but he th- but to the, to us he is in the town of ikust so mm. as he wakes up and as he crawls to um uh, i mean to the top floor the camera follows out into into the into the open and that i think it pans out and pans, it, it pans, 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 pans out of the house and shows the town at large yeah it shows the town at large and it's just So this is i think this is where the film transitions from war film to 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 uh, a greek tale or like an ancient greek it's like tale. a mythic movie it's a mythic movie it's it, pretty, it goes from a historical chronicling to a myth myth myth, myth, myth yeah. so this is possibly what hell looks like or what uh yeah yeah um, what 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 the underworld looks like yeah, exactly ikus is supposed to represent, represent the, underworld. the underworld right and so he's walking through and it as the shot pans out and follows and drops back in you see him walking through the town and dude i mean you can't just skip over let this this is we have to talk about the lighting in the scene oh Let's i mean oh my god you there's there's these flares just flying over the the sky of ikus and it's night time and so when these flares come up they cast shadows and these shadows fall these ruined buildings you know where only walls remain the rest the roofs are blown away the inside of the houses are decimated people have long left it's just these dilapidated walls cast shadows these nightmarish shadows when these flares uh, are in the sky and then those flares go out it's dark again then another flare comes on and you know from a different angle different shadows fall and the first time i watched this scene i was like my god roger deakins my god <laughs> this is cinemat like cinematograph cinematographic porn like uh, even the skyfall scene that we dis- uh, discussed last week pales and mm-hmm. I, i have not seen any scene in whatever few movies i watched that comes anywhere close to the visual impact of this scene it really really drives the point home that yes you are in hell now <laughs> and i mean when that happens and then it it showcases all of that and like you said then comes back to uh, scofield and uh, it starts following him again and as he starts walking into this hell and for me at least whatever i had read about world war 1 to that point everything i had sort of internalized that scene for me was the representation of what the phrase war is hell means mm-hmm. like yes war is really hell it's like and and that for me it's my favorite scene in the movie and there's also the, the sequence as he's walking through the town he comes across like the square right and the square has a fountain yeah. that is that, that's made to look like it looks like a cross it also looks like a uh, kind of it in my in, i always thought it was a symbolism for the gateway to hell and as he fire. yeah and then he sees uh that's the soldier the, the, the church is on the church is on fire and he 
sees the soldier approach him through uh, through uh, through the smoke and then he starts running and eventually ducks yeah. into this little house where he he sees a mother and like and her baby hiding so we all talk about um the impact the war had on on its soldiers but the civilian aspect of it is is more often than not overlooked in terms yeah. of especially the towns that were ravaged to make uh, strongholds for um, for certain battalions to to encamp right uh, i agree i think the only other movie uh, that really does a good job of showcasing the horrors of war on civilians is uh, tarkovsky tarkovsky come and see come and see yeah come and come and yeah. see is old dude yeah that is come and see is possibly the, the best anti war movie i've ever seen yeah it is the bleakest movie that i, I have mm-hmm. ever seen so i think that's the one movie which which puts this uh, aspect across 1917 yes through mm-hmm. the story of the the girl and her child not even her child through mm-hmm. the girl the story of the girl and the child does put this across briefly i think this movie tries to showcase a little bit of every aspect of the war mm-hmm. and uh, comment sees of i think it's a near 4 hour epic so it has mm-hmm. the time to build that story here they give you a glimpse of what life was like for civilians who were caught in the crossfire so as he meets the girl and the baby she's uh, looking after he has like this moment where she, he tries to make now you wonder what his motivation is and there are times where he keeps talking about he he couldn't wait to come back out because home wasn't always a happy place for him or rather there is but at the same time he's wrestling with the idea of staying alive and you don't know what's keeping him going is it just like the pure intent of of saving 16 men 1600 men is it to is it for blake what is it for and as you as he plays with the baby and he tries to make conversation with the french lady um he kind of almost forgets his mission because he's he's there and he's he feels comfortable and th- then I, i think the when he's speaking to the baby it snaps him back to reality and then he says i need to leave and uh that's when he i think he he initially at the farm he takes a bit of like a canister like a can of milk which he gives to the mother yeah. and she's and, and she's so grateful for, for uh, i mean for 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 what he's done right and as he's about to leave she asks him to stay because she doesn't want him to go out there but he he heads back out and there's this terrifying sequence where he cuts in he sees a drunk german soldier throwing up and he cuts into uh, an old abandoned and dilapidated house and as he cuts in, he stumbles upon another german soldier who's taking a leak yeah it's just close hand hand to hand combat that follows it's it's very in your face and when you actually have to kill another person up that close i think that itself has its own impact on you and mm-hmm. it's just a deterioration of like we said no how how shitty a day can get his mm-hmm. day just keeps getting shittier and shittier and it, it I, i mean kudos to him i don't know how he keeps plowing through it all i think in that scene with the baby like you said there is a sort of renewal of his uh, fortitude a renewal of his resolve at that point mm-hmm. you can see at the start of the scene he's like you know what why not just rest here and give up something happens in that scene and he he has this renewed uh, what do i say vigor to get back mm-hmm. out there and take these two people on and continue on because i think uh, he's he's made it till ecost uh, quasil wood i think that's where the mm, yeah. the, the second devens are quasil wood is just mm-hmm. across a river so i think a part mm-hmm. of him is just like you know we've made it so far might as well complete mm-hmm. the mission and i think he has this mm-hmm. fight and right after that he sort of tumbles into the river and uh, yeah. there are there are many points in the movie at least i remember feeling that way there are many points in the movie where you're like yeah i think he's dead now there's no way he's mm-hmm. getting out of this but another point yeah. part of you also knows the movie has to move forward and mm-hmm. uh, if you know if there are no leads that 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 cannot make mm-hmm. sense so yeah. like even when he falls into the river you're just like okay he's definitely going to drown because again you see him sort of give up he's he's hurt he's mm-hmm. tired and he uh, starts stumbling into these you know hordes of dead bodies floating in the water which a very reverse sticks like which is yeah yeah uh, yeah so very reverse sticks like where he's kind of it's basically him floating from the land of the dead and back to the living and as he's the river, river sticks is is usually filled with uh, the souls of, of of dead people yeah. and as he falls back in he kind of you you kind of sense him giving it up because he's just exhausted from 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 the events that have occurred in, in the last 
it as and but the cherry blossoms that uh, blake talks about uh, float them float under the river and he's holding on to them it's a wonderful shot of him amazing holding on to a log and uh, handling some cherry blossoms in his in his hand before he crashes into a pile of dead bodies and yeah. that's where which actually reminds me of another aspect of sorry to cut cut in but <laughs> another aspect of the first world war that i didn't mention in my long monologue the other part of the mind fuckery of trench warfare was because it was a war of attrition and he was stuck in the same place for so long you would have your which again they touch upon very briefly in this movie you have your dead comrades right next to you because there is no place else to put them where do you take you mm. don't have the luxury to take mm. your bodies and dump them elsewhere so you're stuck mm-hmm. sleeping next to or eating food next to the possibly the dead body rotting corpse of your best friend Uh, that itself has i mean i cannot even imagine the impact that has that on a psyche so when you see those uh, i think that the point where in the river he bumps into those dead bodies it's again a reinforcement of that aspect of the horrors of war mm-hmm. like people would just throw their just try to dispose of their bodies wherever and whenever possible right yeah, like yeah. sending them through the river was but they all end up in one place and you see it get to him as he crawls onto the banks of the river he starts he just starts he just breaks down he starts crying and like he's like you feel like you feel he feels that it's it's done all hope is done and then he hears uh, a voice in the woods yeah. and as he and this is possibly the most theatrical the most church like aspect of, yeah. of the film yeah because uh, you end up you you hear the voice and you follow the voice along with with Scofield and him coming across a certain divisions were um, and where one soldier is singing a song uh, for uh, for the entire group before they head into war and as scofield walks and he's exhausted he walks in and collapses onto a tree and the camera goes all the way around and it follows uh, i mean it, it follows the voice it leads up to the singer and then back out to scofield it's beautiful because you as as the camera cuts back to scofield he he looks done he looks done and out and then he realizes that he is amongst the second evans company d uh, d company rather and that's when he gets up and says i have to do the is like why haven't you gone over because they won't send us before uh, the other three companies so he gets up and this is where i i got super emotional in the film because the score the score i think the score is 1600 men and he's running through the trenches trying to find the colonel he stumbles upon a few captains one of them is in complete tears down uh, because he just can't handle what's about to happen he finally stumbles upon one captain who says he's the only way to get to the colonel he's, he's on the other side of the line you have to go up and then uh, and then come back down and you won't be able to do that until the first line of a soldier goes over as the first line of soldiers are about to go over scofield makes a decision to go over the uh, to go into the battlefield and he's and as he's walking through and the music picks up i was just i had goosebumps in my seat he stumbles there's there's one mistake here where like, he starts running and a soldier who runs into him and yeah. then if you notice he falls down he collapses he falls down and he just stays down nothing happens like yeah. he like, anything he just stays <laughs> he down. just curls up into a ball like my ball is over <laughs> and then scofield jumps back down fights a bunch of uh, corporals to get to the colonel and then who was played by benedict cumberbatch final boss so to speak yeah. and uh, they call off the attack just in time and ben cumberbatch i mean he's barely in this film but he delivers one very telling line he says today you may have stopped the order but tomorrow british intelligence might just tell us to go over again which is very uh, it it harkens um, back I mean, to that the futility of uh, british command in the first world war especially british mm-hmm. command were very wasteful uh, in the first world war so yeah i did and again you see from scofield's point of view you, he's had this literally hellish day uh, mm-hmm. coming up to it it all of that culminates into this meeting right and for the colonel he is nothing more than a minor inconvenience you you mm-hmm. see the the disparity uh in how the two people treat the same situation and you're just like wow i mean th- that's just war it, it's uh, it's a very poignant uh, way to make that point i feel mm-hmm. and then 
I think towards the end where he ends up, he goes. They they send him to the infirmary to patch him up, and there he looks for Lieutenant Blake, uh, played by Richard Madden. One more fun, one more boss, <laughs> surprise boss, in the film. And he gives him his letters, and uh, he tells him he like he carries all of Blake's things when Blake passes. And he tells him he gives him like his last what his brother's last words, and he. and you can see um, richard madden kind of tear up it goes from oh tom is here where is he and then yeah. it just it dawns on him a, a beautiful sequence and again yeah then yeah. and then it and as he um walks away he walks back to a tree so this film ends with him starts with him sitting against a tree and ends with him sitting against a tree and he's looking at photos of his wife and his child that says come back to us and then he closes his eyes and the film cuts and which is a tribute to any and then the tribute and then sam mendes mentions that this was he was told the stories of the first world war through his grandfather who was in it yeah, uh, yeah. and it's just i remember watching that that sequence where it says come back like but he pulls out the letter and it says come back to us and he folds it back in and then you realize just how just how many of those letters were written in the war and when you mentioned they shall not grow old and like the fact that so many of the letters kind of highlighted a similar sentiment it's, it's really scary just to, just think just to think about the number of lives that were lost to war especially still being lost to war in certain places yeah and the human cost of war can never objectively be quantified i mean the number of what if the number of potential lives potential successes that were quashed the number of dreams that never saw the light of day because the dreamer is lying in a ditch somewhere i mean you you can't put a there's no way to say what the cost of the what the human cost of war is you can only tug at someone's heartstrings and kind of make them think about it but mm-hmm. uh, which this movie does excellently but uh, nobody can really truly capture truly in the in the most honest sense capture the horror of war i mean you have to have been there i guess uh just i don't know i, I think 1970 is one of those films i will never forget i just yeah. feel it, it is yeah. it is one of my favorite films of all time i just feel there's some, something about it that i absolutely adore and if you haven't watched it and if you've come in this far and listen to basically the entire plot of the movie why <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you have watched it and you share our thoughts or if you disagree with our thoughts you should let us know because i would any day recommend this to uh, to anyone and everyone i took my friends to watch it and they said oh i maybe we can watch this the first time and then the novelty dies the second time a lot of people have complained about that my dad went and watched it he said it was probably one of the best films he's ever seen so it's it has impacted an entire generation of uh, of mm. people like there's age has no bar with regards to this film it doesn't glorify war it doesn't attempt to glorify war as a matter of fact it is a, a, in my opinion a very personal tale um obviously set against the backdrop of the consequences of war and and i thoroughly enjoy this film i i love it for what it is and i, I and if i was one thing i would love to do with it i wish i could go back and watch it again for the first time because yeah yeah man that was that was an experience altogether uh quick thoughts on uh, i just wanted to make a mention of uh, the sort of a team that uh, mendes has put together there's uh, there's him there's uh, deacons i think with the exception of specter deacons does the cinematography for all of mendes's movies and there's for music you have thomas newman in fact i didn't know that uh, mendes himself was knighted so that must have mm-hmm. been a very uh, funny uh, set to me. sir sir roger sir, sir sam like this everyone <laughs> calling addressing each other sir but uh, yeah, that just the, the thought of that made me laugh But yeah, I think also, it's a mm-hmm. surreal A team that they sort of put together, and they keep when whenever they collaborate, something magical happens. Also, like props to Christy Wilson Keynes, the, the screenwriter for this, because um, she's yeah. only thirty-four, so she and Sam Mendes really collaborated to deliver like a, a wonderful film. I know technically, is the film is I mean, in terms of screenplay, it's pretty straightforward. But to rise to the level it does, it requires a screenplay that allows it to do so. So yeah. so props to her. I'm, she's her next project is uh, 
uh, One Night in Soho, which is the new Edgar Wright film, which I'm really intrigued mm. by. Or I think it's called uh, Last Night in Soho, not One Night in Soho. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Also, props to George Mackay, dude. I like I've I, I I went and checked up his filmography as soon as I watched the film. I, he he's really the glue that holds the entire thing together. Yeah, yeah. Very, uh, I wouldn't say understated performance, but there were so many chances to ham it up, and he hasn't in this movie. He hasn't. He plays it plays it exactly the way it needs to be played, and mm-hmm. I think I echo your sentiment entirely. I I really wish I could wipe my memory and you know go back a year, year and a half or whatever, and watch this movie again on the big screen. And to any of you that haven't watched the movie, uh. It's a little too late for me to be telling you this at the end of this podcast, but yeah, uh, hmm. do definitely watch the movie and try and make uh, your viewing experience as close to a theater viewing experience as you can. If for some reason your local theater is playing uh, 1917 again or whatever, please please go catch it. Otherwise, if if the laptop is the best you can do or your home system whatever, do what you can to make the the the. Viewing experience as close to a theater as possible because trust me, this is one of the movies that definitely merits it. Please do not watch this movie on your phone. Please just yeah, just please don't. Do that. That's that's just massacring yeah, the work that the <laughs> yeah. team has put together. Okay, I think on that note uh, we wrap up this episode. It's a really fun one. I think I yeah. uh, very I learned a lot given your your expertise <laughs> on on the First World War. So as much as our viewers are listening to like things they may not have heard for the first time, I am on the same in the same boat as you are. <laughs> yeah, and so I can we'll, talk we'll so much more about the First World War, but uh, let's do it. Let's let's pick like the, yeah. <laughs> the podcast length to worry about. So <laughs> yeah. we'll we'll catch you on the next one, everyone. Take care. Have a good one. Take care. Bye bye. So they opened their big mouths, and out came talk, talk, talk.